Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, the radio show all about traveling like a boss by being your own boss. Stay tuned for weekly interviews featuring guests that have built their own online businesses. If you would like to have access to our entire back catalog, visit travellikeabosspodcast.com for instant access. And here's your host, Johnny SD. Hi, and welcome to episode 11 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. This is Johnny, and this week we have David McKeegan of Greenback Expat Tax Services. I'm really excited to have uh, David on, and uh, we're going to be picking his brain about all your tax questions. Hey, David. Hi, how you doing? Yeah, doing really well. I'm excited to have you on. Yeah, excited to be here. Yeah, very cool. So uh, today I wanted to ask you uh, basically all the questions that as a new business owner, online business owner, uh, especially one that's traveling around and, and living overseas, uh, you know, all about taxes. Um, and I'm sure these questions are going to be the same ones that a lot of other people have as well. Um, you know, things like collecting state tax, uh, how, what, what, can I, what can I write off? Can I write off my flights and my hotels? Um, you know, what, you know, how, how, can I, how can I get away with basically writing off more, more taxes? Um, and if I should file for an LLC or if I should just continue being a sole proprietorship. Uh, but first, I wanted to ask you the really big question that a lot of people have questions about is, is it true that if I'm out of the U.S. for more than 330 days a year, uh, if I don't have to pay taxes on the first 95K of income? It, generally speaking, that is true. Um, now, what you're talking about there is what's known as the foreign earned income exclusion. And the way you get that is you file form 2555. And there's two qualifying factors in order to receive it. Uh, you either have to meet the physical presence test, which is the test that says that you are outside of the United States for 330 days in a 365 day period or you have to be a bona fide resident of a foreign country, uh, which basically means that you, know, you live in a foreign country, you work there, uh, you have no intention of returning to the United States, and uh, you know, you're settled in a foreign country. Okay. Uh, so you know, most people who are you know, sort of in the digital nomad sphere are gonna qualify uh, via the physical presence test. So basically living outside of the U.S. Uh, for 330 days in a 365-day period. And you know, that doesn't have to be a calendar year. That can be any 365-day period. Yeah, so that's fantastic. So if I wanted to go back for Mother's Day for a week, wanted to go home for Thanksgiving for a week, wanted to go home for Christmas for a week, I would qualify. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, what we do and you know, what uh, I would recommend to people is that you actually just list out uh, how many days you're planning on being back in the U.S. and you know what the travel time is and everything like that? Because even a part of a day in the U.S. counts as uh, you know being in the U.S. So you want to make sure that uh, you've got plenty of scope to get to your 330 days. Okay. Uh, the other thing, anybody that lives in you know the Northeast, I'm I'm from New York originally. If you're going back around the holidays, it's always best to leave an extra day or two uh, just in case you get a big snowstorm or something like that and you get stuck at the airport. <laughs> yeah, you definitely don't want to have a $30,000 mistake. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I heard that, I don't know if it's true, but they said it, it, I've heard it's they're pretty nitpicky that if you're um, like travel time, let's say you're on an airplane uh, flying over an international water, if you're on a boat, uh, that doesn't include the, those 330 days. 
Yeah, the 330 days is actually time spent inside a foreign country. Uh, you know, there's a lot of very specific rules about uh, what happens when you go over various airspaces and, you know, U.S. airspace or foreign country airspace and when the clock starts. Okay. Uh, but, you know, the basic rule is that uh, it starts at midnight. So, you know, if you land in... Uh, for argument's sake, Mexico at 11 p.m. on January 1st, your first full day in a foreign country would be the second, not the oh, first. Oh, wow. Okay. So you definitely want to have a nice buffer. Uh, but the nice thing about that is, you know, I was talking to my buddy Anton about this, and living in places like Chiang Mai, Thailand, and, you know, a lot of other places in the world, uh, maybe even Berlin, you can get away with spending $30,000 living overseas the entire year. And that will include, you know, all basically all your expenses. So it, it's basically like living you know, getting paid to live outside of the U.S. for free. Yeah, you, know, you can avoid uh, or you can exclude so much of your income from tax that it's really beneficial. Um, you know, a couple things to note, though, uh, as, as the name implies, the foreign earned income exclusion is only for earned income. Uh, so and it's only for foreign earned income. So if you have rental properties in the U.S., you know, that's not going to be excluded because uh, rental properties, dividends, you know, capital gains, those things are all considered passive income as opposed to earned income. Okay. Um, now, I, I will qualify this or clarify this by saying that, you know, even if you're working a four-hour work week, so, you know, you and I would consider your business to be, be providing passive income uh, that's probably still going to count as earned income, not passive income. Okay. So let's uh, say I have a passive I, income is well, passive income is things that really are passive, you know, rental income or dividends, you know, interest income, that kind okay. of thing. So let's say I, I write an ebook. Um, I'm, I'm here in Thailand. I write an ebook. I sell it to Americans uh, through an American company like ClickBank. That that would still qualify as foreign earned income. I, yeah, I'd have to research that specifically. I'm not 100% sure because that could be considered a royalty. Uh, so royalty may fall under a passive side as opposed to um, as opposed to earned. Okay, so these are all things to look, to look into. But um, I guess let's say I'm a, I'm a web developer and I, I'm taking on U.S. clients, uh, but I'm doing it here in Thailand uh, or anywhere overseas. Would that would that be foreign uh, earned income? Yeah, because you are doing the work and you're overseas. So that's foreign earned income. Okay. So I'm, I'm definitely sure there's a way that I can, instead of having it be a, a royalty ebook, it could be, you know, me actively selling these, these books and, and, you know, and working. Yeah, exactly. Okay. That makes sense. All right. Well, um, so I think there's a lot of people that are going to be in, in my shoes where I, you know, this is really my first year making a lot of money online. And, you know, it's been a dream. I read the book, you know, for our work week four years ago, and I'm sure a lot of people in the same boat where they made a little bit of money online, but not really enough to, you know, to have to worry about taxes too much. Um, I guess the first question would be if, you know, if I make so little, like what's the, what's the least amount of money I, I would need to make uh, to even have to file taxes? Like, let's say I, I you know, I quit my job, uh, decided to move to Thailand, live off of savings for a year, and but I make couple hundred bucks here and there online, would I still need to pay even file taxes? Yes. If you're self-employed, if you're making over $400 a year, uh, then you have to file a tax return. 
Okay. So, you know, usually if, uh, if you're not self-employed, you know, the limit would be closer to $10,000. And, you know, if you're somebody that's just living off Social Security or something like that, uh, if you're just living off Social Security, you don't have to file taxes. But unfortunately, if you're self-employed and you make over $400 a year, you do have to file a tax return. Okay. Well, that's actually a good incentive because I'm sure there would be a lot of people listening to this who would think, you know what? It's my first year quitting my job. I have some savings. Let me kind of just take it easy, um, and you know, and not have to pay taxes on the first ten grand. Uh, but this actually kind of just lights a fire in your butt, thinking, okay, well, if I have to pay taxes anyways, I might as well really just start earning income uh, while I'm, while I'm living abroad. Yeah, you know, you could see it going either way. It's either uh, you know, don't work at all and sit in the beach and enjoy yourself because that way you can avoid it, or it's. Uh... <laughs> Start getting your business going because you're going to, as soon as you hit that $400 mark, you're going to have to file anyway. (laughs) Well, I'm actually a little bit excited that even though I'm not looking forward to paying taxes, I'm not looking forward to, you know, to dealing with it all. um, It's a high value problem because I'm actually making money this year and I'm I'm growing a business and it's, you know, it's one of those things that you kind of have to do that comes with success, but it's good to have guys like you and services like Greenback uh, to just be able to help me out. Um, So when I first started with my my e-commerce business, it was just about five or six months ago, I wasn't sure if it'd be profitable or not. So I just started it as a sole proprietorship. And I told myself that once I hit, you know, a certain amount of sales, then I'm going to switch over to an LLC. Is that, was that a good idea or a bad idea? Well, it really depends. You know, when you're bootstrapping, you don't want to spend a ton of money up front. You don't want things to slow you down up front, like uh, trying to figure out where to incorporate or how to do that. And yeah, you because know, it'll just get in the way. So yeah, I think what you're saying you did, which was you know prove the concept before you worry about some of that stuff, is probably the right thing in okay. most cases. So now that you know my business is bringing quite a bit of revenue, and I'm gonna have to start paying taxes on it. Uh, is there, a, is there a big benefit for me to, a tax benefit for me to have an LLC versus being a sole proprietorship? Well, the main benefit of uh, any sort of incorporation is the elimination of personal liability. Um, so, you know, if you're selling widgets uh, and, you know, the U.S. is the most litigious country in the world. So if somebody buys your widget and it breaks or it hurts them in some way, you know, they can sue you for that. Uh, but if you have a corporate entity set up, then the liability would sit with the corporate entity, not with you personally. Mm-hmm. So, you know, having that entity allows you to avoid the liability side of it. Uh, now, something like an LLC is what we call a pass-through entity. So the income and the profit from that LLC will flow directly onto your tax return. Uh, which is different than a what you would call in the U.S. a C corporation, uh, the letter C corporation. Okay. Um, and in that case, the corporation, it, again, it has its own liability, which is separate from the shareholders of the corporation, uh, but the corporation is taxed as its own entity. So, you know, the C corporation pays tax on its earning or on its... Uh, income each year and you know then it can distribute dividends to its shareholders uh which are then taxed again so okay. that's the double taxation of a corporation so that, that definitely sounds a lot more complicated than the the llc and just having it pass through um i guess ideally i mean 
as a as a new entrepreneur as a small business owner our our goal would be to you know have the llc not only to limit our liability um but also so we can write off a lot of tax um business expenses yeah you know the irs is extraordinarily strict about what can and can't be written off um yeah, just a couple quick examples for you. Uh, you know, let's say you take clients out to meals. Generally speaking, you can write off the client's meal, but not your own. Um, yeah, if you're doing, if you're traveling for work, uh, the time spent on the business part of it, you can write off. But if you travel out to Thailand for work and then you spend uh, one week on the beach and one week in a factory. Uh, the week on the beach, you know, that part of it won't be eligible to be written off. Okay. So I, I think a lot of people have the misconception where as long as we're, you know, technically traveling for work, uh, everything is business. Yeah, it, it's not quite that uh, loose and fancy free, if you will. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think probably 30 years ago, you got away with a lot more of that kind of stuff if you're a business owner. But you know, over the years, they've tightened all that up so much because uh, people were, you know, using and abusing uh, corporate entities, you know, to give themselves lavish vacations and things like that. And so the IRS has really tightened that up quite a bit. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, because I think at the end of the day, uh, it's a fine line between, you know, not wanting to overpay on taxes, you know, having a lot of the benefits, but at the same time, you know, not dealing with an audit because that, that would be the worst nightmare. Oh uh, yeah, especially if you're overseas, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, it could be a real headache for you. Okay. Uh, yeah, definitely. And you know, it's kind of it's good to know now, and you know, not have my hopes up too high. <laughs> you know, thinking I can write <laughs> off every cup of coffee, every every coconut I sip on. Um, but <laughs> I I don't know if this is true at all. But somebody mentioned that uh, one of the benefits of having an LLC is that they kind of expect you to reinvest like the first $35,000 of profit into the company uh, per year. So you don't have to pay taxes on that. Is that true? Or did I just make that up? Uh, I haven't heard that one. You know, what happens with an LLC is uh, the income passes through to your personal tax return. Uh, so any income in there would be taxed at your personal tax rate. Now, if you're living in Thailand and you know, you're using the foreign earned income exclusion, uh, then for this year, the 2013 tax year, which you know, you'll file your taxes for in 2014, uh, you'll be able to exclude $97,600 of your income, uh, you know, of the profit of the business, uh, which would pass through to you. Okay. All right. Well, that, that makes sense. Um, so what is All right. So let's say, for example, um, I'm flying out to Thailand and let's say my businesses are, you know, I have an e-commerce store, uh, which, you know, even though, yeah, I'm, I'm working out here in, in Thailand, I'm, I'm building in here, I'm fulfilling everything here. So that definitely qualifies. Um, but what if somebody also had other businesses, let's say they, they write travel, uh, travel blogs or travel books, um, would then, you know, them going to a beach and doing research, you know, scuba diving or, you know, doing these uh, excursions, uh, would that qualify then as, you know, as part of their business expense? Because they're, I mean, that's literally their business. They're, they're, they're writing and tra- in, about the travels. You'd really have to look on it, look at it on a case by case basis. Um, yeah, some of the expenses you can probably write off. 
Uh, but I don't want to give you a blanket yes or no because uh, yeah, the IRS, the tax code is, uh, I forget what it is, yeah, five times larger than all the works Shakespeare ever wrote. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's one of these kind of things if you ever try and read it where you, know, you can do this, but you can't do that. You can do this unless this happens. So it, it's really, you don't want to give a blanket answer to something like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, some of the expenses you'd be able to write off. Some of them you wouldn't. Uh, but you really want to look at it. You want to make sure that you're saving receipts. You want to make sure that you have all the records of where you were, why you were there, what you were doing, uh, you know, what the product that came out of that research was uh, in order to make sure you can write off as much as possible. Oh, that make, definitely makes sense. Well, I, I think one of the cool things about Greenback, and I actually just signed up personally as a, as a personal client uh, a week ago before even contacting you. Uh, oh, is, awesome. Yeah, is that uh, I was assigned a CPA. Uh, her name is Daria, uh, one of your staff yep. members. And it's cool that after I upload, um, you know, the basic files, I had a, a form that, you know, with all all the common you know questions um, to fill out, and then I'm gonna upload some of my bank statements and income statements. But it's cool that I have somebody um, you know that I can just email or, or talk to you uh, and ask these specific questions. Yeah, I really think it's one of the things uh, that differentiates us from a lot of the other companies out there. Um, yeah, you know, all the people that do taxes for us are either CPAs or IRS enrolled agents. Uh, you know, we're not outsourcing this work to India or China or anything like that. You know, nobody really wants their uh, financial dirty laundry, you know, spread across the world in that kind of way. Uh, but, you know, you can also build a relationship with the accountant you're working with. And, you know, as you, use, as you work with them year in, year out, uh, you'll be able to, you know, you'll get to know them. They'll get to know you. And it can really, you know, build a rapport where, you know, if you have a tax question, you just ping them an email and, you know, they respond to you with it. And, uh, you know, the idea is just that you'll be very at ease working with this person because, you know, you'll know that Greenback is taking care of the tax side of things. So you can just focus on running your business. Yeah, because this is, I mean, taxes are, are very, very complicated. And uh, I remember hearing one of your interviews, uh, and I'll post up the video on our on our uh, show notes. Um, it'll be Travel Like a Boss podcast episode 11. Uh, there's a video that you, just, you basically talk about. You can either spend all of your time becoming a tax expert, or you can focus on your business. You can make more money. You can enjoy the fruits of it and let us worry about it. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. You know, there's a lot of different cases where that makes sense. You know, uh, I, I don't know if you read The Economist, but there's an article in The Economist about uh, travel deals that people are getting. Uh, uh, I, I don't remember the specific phrase they used, but it was basically where you buy you know, a ticket between, say, London and uh, Singapore, and then you add on a really fl a short flight you know, between the Bahamas and the Caymans or something like that. And it messes with the algorithm that the airlines use. Okay. And so you avoid the fuel surcharge. Oh, that makes sense. And I, I was talking to a buddy of mine who's also an entrepreneur about this, asking, hey, have you ever done this? Or you know, have you ever heard of anybody that does? And uh, he was like, yeah, no, nah, I've never done it. You know? And I, I sort of responded, yeah, I've never done it either. You know, spend too much time working on the business, not enough time 
you know, messing around with all the different flight options and stuff like that. And, you know, as an entrepreneur, that's really what you want. You want to be able to focus on the things that are core for you, the things that are most important for your business. And, you know, I think in most cases, people should have an understanding of the general side of taxes, but you don't want to have to be an expert in every single aspect of it uh, because the amount of benefit you would personally get from that is probably less than if you spent that same amount of time either working on your business, growing new businesses, new product lines, or you know, taking some time off and just enjoying life. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you know, nobody wants to, you know, I mean, nobody wants to pay uh, a lot in taxes. Nobody even really wants to pay uh, their accountant a lot. But at the same time, uh, if you're making, you know, if you're growing your income and you're making $10,000 more a year uh, because, you know, you got to focus these extra hours, you know, then why not spend, you know, spend the money on, on hiring somebody that actually knows what they're talking about. So I, I definitely agree with, uh, you know, having services and I'm not trying to, you know, because if I wasted 30 hours on my own trying to figure this stuff out, it, it wouldn't, wouldn't be worth my time. Yeah. And, you know, the IRS publishes every year, you know, an estimate of how long it takes people to, uh, to do their taxes. And uh, believe it or not, for people that live inside the U.S., so, you know, they're not even looking at these extra forms where you can exclude income or get tax credits or any of that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, it's like 30 hours for those people to do their taxes. So, you know, you can imagine the additional complexity uh, if you're then a small business owner and you're living outside the U.S. and, you know, all this kind of stuff where, uh, you know, all of a sudden the amount of time and the amount of detail that you need to understand in order to do your taxes is really just, you know, growing exponentially. Yeah, it's crazy. And so I wanted to ask you a little bit more about the LLCs uh, before we moved on. Is sure. so I'm, I'm looking into incorporating either in Wyoming, Nevada, or Delaware. And these are the three that everybody talks about. Um, is do, do you have any personal opinions about which, ones, which one would kind of be the easiest as a small business owner? Um, well, first of all, first off, you know, the main reason people use those, you know, Delaware gets used uh, quite a bit because it's got a very long-standing uh, set of legal precedents. So you sort of know exactly what's going to happen. Uh, Nevada and Wyoming are used because there's no state tax. Um, so, you know, depending on your situation, you know, I think a lot of public companies, I actually heard recently, I think it was 87% of companies that have gone public uh, in the U.S. this year were incorporated in Delaware. Oh, wow. Uh, and, you know, the main reason for that is uh, because of the legal precedence that Delaware has set up. Um, my personal opinion would be, and, you know, again, this will vary for different people with different circumstances, uh, but, you know, somewhere like Nevada or Wyoming is a pretty good choice because you then don't have to worry about state tax on the business. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, either of those are probably fine. You probably want to look at which one has the most flexibility for you personally, as far as, you know, not needing to be there, whether or not you need to have, uh, you know, an office set up there, you know, even if it's a virtual office uh, set up there, uh, how hard or easy it'll be to set up bank accounts outside of that specific state, you know, things like that uh, before you make a final decision. Um, yeah, you know, I know Wyoming, you know, built into the bylaws of any kind of uh, LLC from Wyoming, 
you are allowed to set up bank accounts outside of the state and things like that. So, you know, that just makes life a little bit easier. You know, you don't want to have to fly back and go to Nevada or wherever for a day to set up a bank account if you can avoid it. Yeah, if if I can avoid it, I will. I will never step foot in Wyoming, even though I'm sure it's a it's a great state. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that that's actually you just gave me an idea for a great future episode. I'll get a uh, Wyoming LLC expert on and pick his brain about that. Um, but I'll, I'll, you mentioned the the state taxes. So one thing that is a bit annoying um, is. Right now, I have because I'm a sole proprietorship in California, my home state. I have to collect uh, state taxes on all sales, and because California is such a, a you know a populated area, a lot of my sales come from California, and I'm just sitting, you know, I just have all this um, all this California state tax that I I collected uh, just sitting in my personal bank account, um, and I, I I just have a feeling that that's not the best idea. Well, yeah, California is sort of a a separate place, if you will. Um, you know, what you're talking about, I believe is, you know, if you have, I think it's more than 25% of your business comes from California. Uh, you know, you have to pay state tax there, even if you're incorporated outside of California. Uh, but you as a sole proprietor, uh, and coming from California, uh, you'll probably be filing and paying state taxes for, you know, a long time. Uh, unless you can, you know, move to another state and, you know, become a resident of another state. Uh, yeah, California is like a pit bull with a bone. You know, they don't let people go. You'll be <laughs> filing, uh, for a long, long time. Okay. All right. So the, so it, it's actually, it's a point that, uh, we've made in other cases, uh, where if you're looking to move abroad and start a business and run a business, you might be better off uh, living in another state, you know, getting a different driver's license, all that kind of stuff uh, before moving abroad so that you can, you know, be released from California. Yeah, that's a fantastic idea that I, I wish um, <laughs> I wish I listened to this podcast episode four <laughs> years ago because I could have easily, you know, went to Vegas for a weekend, got a driver's license, um, <laughs> you know, I could, you know, condos out there are so cheap right now. You could probably just buy a place, if not just rent a PO box. And, you know, by now, I mean, it's been four years, so I could have easily been a, a Nevada resident by now. Yeah, and, you know, that would save you from uh, having to file taxes in California uh, on a personal level. But, you know, what I was mentioning at the beginning was on a business level, if you have a certain amount of sales in California, you'll still have to pay tax on that. Uh, so, you know, depending on the type of business you run, you might want to watch out for uh, what you're doing in those cases as well. Okay. So if somebody has an e-commerce store like myself and we're collecting, um, you know, whatever, whatever it was, 8% sales tax from every single order from California, uh, how do I actually give that back to California? Uh, well, you know, you probably have some sort of filing, you know, quarterly filing requirement for California. I, I'm not an expert on California state taxes. I, you know, I've done research on it in the past for clients, but I'm not a expert on, uh, the state in particular. Uh, but you know, I'm sure there's some sort of quarterly filing that you're responsible for doing in order to pay that state tax. Okay. So I should look into that because I don't want to just be holding their money. <laughs> Right. 
Yeah, especially because when I look into my bank accounts, you know, I've, I've, it always looks like it's a lot more because you know a couple of thousand of that is 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 owed to California. I know I have to pay eventually. Yeah, it can give you a uh, false sense of confidence if you have a bunch of money in there that yeah you know, has been earmarked to be paid to the state. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, a lot of the listeners are people that travel, and I mean, my advice, I mean that I've heard so far is just try to put as many things as on your credit card as possible because that, at least that, that way you have a paper trail. Uh, is that mm-hmm. enough or do you need to, you know, to take pictures of your receipts and keep receipts? It, it's not always enough. I would definitely recommend, you know, if you've got an iPhone or any kind of smartphone, just snap a photo of the receipts as well. Um, yeah, it, the credit card gives you an okay paper trail, but really, you want to have a photocopy of receipts or you know, a picture of receipts as well if you can. And so you know, somebody, like if you're one of our clients, what you can do is just take pictures of them and upload them to your secure file. And uh, you know, you'll just be able to store them in there until the next tax year. Okay. Yeah, I, I really like your, your online uh, filing system. I, I actually just logged in. I uploaded my, my questionnaire. And I'm going to start going through and, and uploading um, my, my bank statements per month. Um, and whatever receipts I have as well. And I mean, it's just a great, easy filing system. So I, I really enjoy that. No, oh, great. Yeah. So uh, to kind of walk through people through, I mean, what exactly, uh, I mean, Greenback Tax Services does. Uh, so I signed up and I was actually very surprised that you guys don't even ask for my credit card number right away. You just, you just let me, you know, you, you basically, you're helping me out up for free up until the point where I actually need to file. Yeah, you know, the idea is that uh, there's a lot of people out there that are concerned about their taxes. You know, uh, they're afraid of how they're going to get treated by the government or, you know, they're afraid that they're going to uh, go with a company that's not very reputable. And, you know, who knows who's going to be doing their taxes kind of thing. So, you know, what we try and do is, you know, put people as much at ease as possible. You know, you're going to be working directly with an accountant. Uh, CPA or an IRS enrolled agent, you know, you're going to have a folder where you can put your documents in, uh, you share them directly with your accountant, and you know, nobody else is messing around in those folders. Uh, and you know, one of the, <laughs> it's actually kind of funny thinking back on it, but when we first started up, I actually was talking to a prospective client, and uh, we're on the phone, and he said, you know, so are you guys some kind of like Russian scam or something? You know, when I put my documents in there, are you going to steal my social security number and run off with it? Or, you know, what's going to happen here? And, uh, you know, I, I was just explaining, no, yeah, you know, here's my background. You know, my wife and I started this business together and, you know, this is what we're doing. Yeah, you, know, you don't have to worry about anything like that. And uh, so that's one of the reasons that we don't do any kind of billing or anything like that until a uh, draft tax return prepared or yeah until we've done some work for you uh yeah because we don't want people to be worried about it we don't want people to think it's some kind of scam that you know we're just out to uh charge you money for things and yeah rip you off or anything like that because it's really not the way the business is set up it's not the way uh yeah it's not the way we operate yeah and i think it's fantastic that you guys i mean i would assume you guys get most of your business through word of mouth through referrals Uh, you guys do a good job and you know people recommend you, and and, and that's how it grows. Um, I mean, yeah, for, exactly. Yeah, I mean, personally, I I wouldn't want to just you know Google you know income taxes 
and then just pick whatever the top result is or the or the Google ad that pops up. Uh, and the only reason why you know I was I knew one hundred percent you know hey I, I'll just go with these guys is because it was recommended by other entrepreneurs that I know in person and they've used you and and they know you um, and they've met you before. Right, and you know that's arguably the uh, the best way to find a company to work with. Yeah, you know, if you can get a personal recommendation from one of your friends, yeah, you know, that's uh, it's pretty priceless. Yeah. So it, a lot of people, I'm sure, they use things like TurboTax. Um, what like what are the big benefits of using Greenback versus something like TurboTax? Well, TurboTax I think is a fine product if you're in the U.S. Uh, but I think a lot of people have problems with it if they try and use it outside the U.S. Yeah, I know people who are you know, very, very smart, uh, financially capable people who have made messes out of their taxes using TurboTax. Uh, and it sort of gets back to the, do you want to spend 30 hours you know, reading up on tax code and you know, on the phone with the IRS trying to figure out every exception? Or do you want to just give it to somebody that you know, that's what they do all day? Um, so yeah, TurboTax is fine, but yeah, from what we've seen, a lot of the returns that people do themselves with TurboTax, they end up making mistakes on. And, uh, yeah, then you sort of have the worst of both worlds because, you know, you're paying TurboTax TurboTax to do your taxes on there, but then you have to file amended returns and everything like that uh, a couple of years down the road to make sure that, uh, the returns were done correctly and, you know, to make sure you get any tax credits you're due or that you properly excluded income and things like that. Yeah, that makes sense. I've used TurboTax uh, in the past when I was working, you know, when I was in college, not really making any money. And, you know, it was, it was okay for that. Uh, but now that I'm actually making, you know, like a, a real income and now that I have all these travel expenses and business expenses, you know, I, I, there's no way I'm going to use a, a service like that because it's, it's already confusing enough Um trying to figure out what I can what I can, what I can get away with versus on a software like TurboTax I think it'll be I mean either one or two things will happen it was one is there's not even going to be a place for me to even put these um these exclusions in or uh they're just gonna let me put whatever whatever I want in <laughs> and not not slap, slap my hand <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gonna get in a lot of trouble for that <laughs> exactly and, and that's where it's nice to have uh an accountant that you can work with directly because uh you know I don't think any of our accountants will slap your hand per se, but uh, they will let you know what is allowable, what's not allowable, and you know, how, how you can uh, avoid trouble. <laughs> so for you know, for people who are, are basically strapping their business abroad, they're living, you know, they're traveling, they're living somewhere else, they're, they're growing their business. What are some common legitimate expenses that they can write off? Um, well. Yeah, you know, if you're living abroad, you can write off a bunch of stuff. You know, you can write off some of your housing expenses depending on where you are. Uh, now, there's a threshold. It's about a fifteen thousand dollar threshold that you have to be spending more than that uh, before you can start writing off housing expenses. But you can write off housing expenses uh, if you're above that. And yeah, you know, depending on where you are, you know, if you're somewhere like Hong Kong. Uh, you know, you can write off about a hundred thousand dollars a year in housing expenses. Uh, so, you know, that can be pretty significant for people. Um, you know, basically things that have to do with your business. You know, if you're buying a computer to, uh, run your business, you can write off your computer. If you've got internet, you know, that 
you're paying for in, an internet subscription. That could be a legitimate business expense right there. So, you know, things that you're actually doing in your business or using for your business, you can write off. Uh, you know, where you start to run into trouble is where you have things that are sort of business and personal, you know, business lunches and things like that. Uh, generally speaking, you can write off the piece for the client, but not for yourself. Uh, you know, business travel, generally speaking, you can write off the part of the travel that had to do with the business side, but not the week you spent at the beach. So, you know, things like that, uh, again, you're going to want to keep receipts. You're going to want to talk to, uh, somebody that knows what they're doing around it, but I wouldn't count on being able to write off. Yeah, every time you jump on an airplane or anything like that, because if you ever did get audited, uh, it might be disallowed, and yeah, that could lead to taxes and penalties and things like that, which uh, nobody wants to have. Yeah, I guess the worst thing that could happen is you know three years down the line they hit you with a huge bill of fifty k or something. Yeah, and you know we've seen that happen to people who uh, yeah didn't know they needed to file and. Uh, you know, entrepreneurs that didn't know they needed to file taxes and so weren't paying self-employment tax. Uh, and then even though they were able to exclude a lot of their income using the foreign earned income exclusion, the they still owed all this money in uh, Social Security and Medicare. And, uh, you know, that can really add up after a couple of years if you're making some money. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I guess after, you know, sitting down talking to you about this, I realized I can get away with stuff for a few years, um, but then it's it's gonna come, you know there's a big chance to come back to you. So you might as well just do it correctly from the start. Yeah, that's always uh, it's always the best idea. Just you know do everything the proper way from the get go, and uh, you know understand the rules. You know ask your accountant how uh, what is and isn't allowable, and uh, you know work within them because you know that's going to be the best way to minimize uh the amount of tax you're gonna so is there okay it definitely makes sense uh so i know that taxes aren't actually due until april whatever it is april 14th uh but is there a big benefit of of signing up now and you know just just kind of you know getting your records in order now uh before even you even get your first wt form or your first uh 1099 well, you know, this time of year is a great time to uh, start thinking about tax planning for uh, next year because, you know, if you've got expenses that you need to do for your business and things like that, uh, now is a good time to start spending some of that money if you're able to. Uh, on the personal side, it's also a good time uh, to do what people call tax harvesting, you know, tax loss, loss harvesting. So, you know, if you've got some, uh, some stocks that are doing well and some stocks that are doing poorly, uh, you know, you may want to offset some of those if you're going to sell some anyway in order to, uh, you know, cancel out the gains with the losses and things like that. So, you know, depending on your specific situation, it can be a good time to start talking to your accountant now about ways to minimize your taxes for next year. Uh, because, you know, once December 31st passes, you're not going to be able to take action on your 2013 taxes, if you will. Oh, that, that definitely um, makes sense. Huh? So if I want to make any big purchases I should do for my business, I should do so before uh, end of December. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, also, it's a good time 
to start thinking about any kind of retirement planning or anything like that if you're thinking about having some extra money that you can put aside. Uh, now, that again, it gets a little bit tricky because uh, if money's excluded using the foreign earned income exclusion, uh, you know, if it's foreign earned money, you might not be able to put it into IRAs and stuff like that. But yeah, again, it's good to talk to an expert uh, about specific situations uh, because in some cases you will, in some cases you won't. Okay. Uh, the tax deadlines that people need to know about, you know, the general tax deadline is April 15th. Uh, and I don't know why the IRS has it set up this way, but if you owe money on your taxes, you have to have it paid by April 15th. Now, if you're an expat, if you're living overseas, you don't have to file your taxes until June 15th. So, yeah, every year we get people saying, wait, that doesn't make any sense. And they're right, it doesn't. Uh, you don't have to file till June, but you have to have paid by April. Uh, so, yeah, just so people are aware of that. Uh, and then, you know, you can also get extensions if you need extensions. Uh, you can get an automatic extension to October 15th uh, pretty easily just by submitting a form. And, uh, you know, if you need more time or, you know, if you're uh, going to be traveling a bunch and you don't want to deal with any of it, you know, you can use those extensions to uh, push it back to October. So I know a lot of people love extensions and love pushing things back. But just like with my credit card, you know, even though I don't, I don't have to pay it for 30 days, I like just to pay it off, you know, weekly or before it's due, just so I don't, I don't have to think about it. Just so the money is out of my account, you know, and I, I don't start thinking I have more money uh, than I do. Is there any downside to me uh, paying my taxes, let's say January fifteenth? Ooh. It, all right. Well, there's two things. You know, the first would be an opportunity cost uh, point of view. So if your taxes aren't due until April fifteenth, but you pay them on January fifteenth. You're losing out on the opportunity cost of that money for that time period. Now, interest rates are so low that you're probably not losing a whole lot. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, in theory, you could buy a three-month CD or something like that with that money, uh, have it you know, still be 100% you know, FDIC insured, and you know, make a little bit of money on the interest in the meantime. Um, so you know, that's one side of it. The other side of it, and the argument here can go both ways, uh, but I've heard people argue, argue that you know, the IRS has quotas each year for how many people they're going to audit, and some people say that by filing by the April deadline, uh, you minimize your chance of being audited because uh, you know, you're filing by the April deadline, the IRS is overwhelmed, and you know, so fewer people get audited as a result of that. I've also heard it argued that, you know, waiting to the last possible moment, you know, filing uh, on October 15th may minimize your chance of being audited because the IRS may have already filled up their quota of, uh, you know, how many people they're going to audit for that year. So unless you have a bunch of red flags, the risk of just getting, you know, tagged for a you know, general audit might be lower if you wait. Oh, wow. Uh, I actually would have thought the exact I, opposite. I would have thought that you would just be pissing the IRS off by saying, I'll, I'll get you your money uh, next month. I'll, I'll get you your money next month. Well, I, I think there's a lot of 
opinion and I haven't seen a whole lot of facts based on either argument. Um, but you know, basically the argument is if you pay your taxes by April 15th, uh, but then you don't actually file until October, if the IRS has already met their quota for audits for that year, they may not you know, be looking for people unless there's a lot of red flags on the return. Okay. So, you know, that's sort of the argument for waiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually what we see is that people just procrastinate. Yeah. <laughs> I, so, you know, people that get out of the habit of filing for uh, the April deadline, uh, you know, then you have the summer, you don't want to deal with it over the summer. Then, you know, you start getting uh, back into, you know, September, October, and all of a sudden people are panicking because they haven't done it. So, you know, what I try and do is just get mine out of the way every year because I don't want it hanging over my head. Uh, so, you know, that's what I recommend to people. There's no rush to get it done for April 15th, but you know, if you can get it done early, like in February, and then you're not worried about it the rest of the year, that's a pretty good thing to do. Or, you know, if you're able to push it back a little bit, you know, you get the extension and then you do it over the summer or something like that. So you're not, ramming yourself up against the uh, October deadline. That's also a pretty good way to do it. Okay. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And I, I personally don't like pushing things back and having the stress of it. So I, th- I think what, what I'll do after this conversation is, you know, I'll slowly gather everything and then maybe in February I'll get anything prepared. Um, but I can always just kind of hold off on filing it until until April 15th, uh, even though it, it'll be kind of just done um, in February. Yeah, you know, there's once you have it done, you know, just getting it e-filed or uh, yeah, mailing it in, that's the easy part, right? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know, especially if you might have cash flow issues or something like that, you know, if you've got a business where you hold inventory and stuff like that, you may want to have it prepared early in the year so you know what your tax liability is, so you can make sure you have the cash on hand to pay it. Yeah. Well, I mean, what's nice about uh, the drop shipping model is. Uh, everything is. I mean, there's no inventory, uh, so, so all the money, you know, any product I sell, I I pay basically after the customer pays me. So I sure. I actually have the kind of the opposite problem with of most uh, e-commerce businesses is, um, you know, we just ha- we have just cash sitting in the bank that I, I really don't know what to do with right now. A cash flow positive business is never a problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. I- I really appreciate having you on. Um, if uh, if you guys want to check out the, the Greenback Tax Services, um, it's going to be in our show notes on Travel Like a Boss Podcast uh, dot com, and it's going to be episode eleven. And in there, I'm going to uh, embed a couple of videos that I sorted through uh, a bunch of the videos that that David uploaded uh, onto his channel. But uh, my personal favorite one that talks about how to keep your expenses organized. Um, he talks about the, the 95K. He talks about uh, a lot of that. So that, that's a great video to watch. Uh, I also have a link uh, to sign up um, for Greenback. Um, and you guys can you know basically sign up and just start the progress now without putting in a credit card number, without really any obligation. But you can see uh, how easy it is to, you know, to basically just, just start organizing everything. Yeah, and you know, we're, uh, we're taking on new customers. So... Uh... Feel free to contact us anytime, and uh, you know we're here year round. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, David, and uh, have a great one. Great, thanks, Johnny. It's been All great right. having great being on the show. Thanks for that. All right. Bye bye. 
Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.